listener production. If you're a mum of a little boy, how much do you know about his boy bits? It's important to know what's going on with your son's boy bits because you've got to know what's normal and what's not. But most importantly, if you don't know, ask. This is Mother Doctor Nurse, our 12-week special series tackling the health and safety of our children. And this week, we have lots of questions about male genitals. Feed, Play, Love with Sarah Hunstead and Dr. Deb Levy. I'm the mum of a boy and I admit I didn't know all the things about caring for his boy bits. I figured I was just going to leave that up to dad. Today, paediatrician Dr. Deb Levy and paediatric nurse Sarah Hunstead are going to enlighten us about boy bits because, of course, I can't just leave it to my husband. I do need to know what's going on. That's right. We are talking about penises. Welcome to episode four of our special series, Mother, Doctor, Nurse, all about male genitals. Deb, Sarah, hello. Hi. Hello. Excited. Well, look, I have to start with the uh, elephant in the room, and that is that we have used all the euphemisms before I actually use the word penis, but it is important that we use the right terminology, isn't it? Like we can't keep going around calling it different little names or whatever. We should just call it what it is, which is penis, scrotum, testicles. Am I right with that, Deb? Do you need to use the right words? 100%. And you know what? It was exactly what I was thinking um, when, when you were going through all, all the different ways to, you know, to <laughs> penis, the scrotum, the testes. And um, it's important not only to give our children the language for them to tell us what's going on, you know, I've got a pain or whatever it may be, it also keeps them safe, you know, and in terms of child protection. So those are the two, you know, main things to keep in mind, but absolutely let's stick to the real words. Although I might slip into boy bits every now and then, but um, pull me up when I do. (laughs) Well, you are both mums of girls, so I understand. It's possibly not something you talk about all the time in your homes. Let's get cracking because, as I said, there are so many questions about this topic. Our first question comes from Gowrie, who says, I feel that cleaning slash care is not common knowledge, unfortunately, including amongst health professionals. Every doctor we have seen has advised us to forcibly retract and wash daily for our boys from birth. So forcibly retract the foreskin. Am I right in saying this is poor advice? We had an amazing early childhood nurse who said that this is incorrect and to not forcibly retract the foreskin to clean. Deb, can I pass that one to you? Absolutely. And you you can't see my head nodding, but I'm nodding very, very strongly. You should never, ever retract your child's foreskin. The majority of baby boys are actually born with their foreskin quite tight, so that's non-retractable. And um, that's entirely normal. Only um, by like the teenage years do they normally retract fully. But we say by around about 10 years of age, around about 50% of um, children's foreskin will retract on its own. But until it's retracting on its own naturally, just leave it alone. Okay. Now, this is a question that has come up multiple times. So uh, if you're listening for the answer to this, know that we're covering it off with this one question from Rosalia. 
And she asks, what are the best way to keep the genital area clean? That is under the scrotum and penis. Any particular tips or advice on what to focus on when you're doing a nappy change? So first of all, during a nappy change, using something like a nice soft cloth that's been dipped in water and doing a really good wipe over all the surfaces. As Deb said, you don't need to retract the foreskin at all. We just want to make sure that, you know, any poo and stuff like that is removed. So don't forget to um, lift up, go underneath and getting over all of those surfaces. Now, (laughs) sorry, Deb has just done a visual for all of you who are listening, I wish you could have seen Deb just do this motion of lifting up and wiping underneath. Oh my it's goodness. A flick of the can... wrist. She's a very oh. professional, obviously, <laughs> pediatrician. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. But also cleaning in the bath. We want to be able to clean um, the penis and the scrotum just as you would clean any other body part. So making sure that you're not, you know, using any really harsh detergents or soaps because it can can become irritating, not only to the genital area too, but to other bits of the skin too. Making sure that if you are using any soap, that it is thoroughly rinsed off. Just a soft flannel wiping over all surfaces. And I'm going to say it again, because it's something that's really important. No need to retract the foreskin. Don't do it. If your child's foreskin is now attracting, so remember only 50% of boys by the age of 10, so but once that is actually retracting um, normally by itself, it's important that when they're in the shower that they do gently pull that back, give it a clean, but really important that they do replace the foreskin back over the top when they're done. And, you know, when you say that, I'm thinking, oh, that's really good. I need to know that because me saying, oh, I'm just going to leave it to my husband, the generational difference now between dads who were circumcised and sons who were not must be quite common because when I was having my son, the advice was not to circumcise. But when my husband and fathers of his age were born, the advice was to have them circumcised. And so there might be lots of dads out there who don't know how to explain or will have forgotten to explain to their sons, this is what you need to do. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's just so important to have these open conversations. Um, Ask your, um, if you've got a male partner, ask them, do you actually know how to care um, for, you know, a a penis with the foreskin still attached? And if you don't, then looking at some really good reputable sources like the Raising Children's Network, like the Royal Children's Hospital fact sheets that will tell you how to care for them. And Deb, what about uh, nappy rash? Because that is something that we have to deal with, with babies of both genders. But is there anything particularly you need to keep in mind when you have a little boy? Sure. Um, there are just one or two things I just want to add to um, what Sarah was chatting about. And we have this perception that little girls are much more vulnerable to getting urinary tract infections. And it's often the, you hear right from front to back, you know, and, and that kind of gets repeated as we go. And that's 100% true. But it's actually also true for boys. So just make sure if you do have one of those punamis, and we can never avoid them, just be certain that once you've wiped everything, do that one last wipe from the tip of the penis down, you know, because we don't want to encourage the tracking of you know, the, the dirt and the bugs from the poo into the urethra, which is the opening to the bladder. Because actually, um, little boys are 
more vulnerable to urinary tract infections than little girls. So nappy rash, look, you know, and again, Sarah said this, you know, it's all about avoiding things that are harsh and things that are going to irritate your baby's skin. And that counts for the skin on their bodies, on their face and over their genital areas. So the simplest products are the best. And um, when it comes to nappy rashes, you know, there are a couple of steps that I always recommend in terms of both avoiding them and treating them. And one is, yes, avoid those irritants. So choose your products wisely. And I'll go into that in a little bit if you'd like me to. The other one is change diapers as frequently as you are able to. Because obviously, if a baby is sitting in either a wet or a dirty diaper, the contact of um, that soiling on their skin is going to cause irritation. The next part is giving them a little bit of dry time or nappy free time. You know, whenever I recommend this, most parents look a little bit scared. And I. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love nappy free time with my babies. But it can go so wrong. Oh, it can go so wrong, but I, I think I chose my timings, you know, like after I changed a nappy. That's exactly right. We put a little, uh, I'm just picturing. Like a pee pad, like you use for training. Yes. Yeah. When he was little, we would put him on that, like a mat. I just remember him at my parents' place because they had this gorgeous sunlight coming through and he would just be doing tummy time without his nappy on. And it was just the best thing. He was so free. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And that's right. You know, the best time to choose is especially after they've made poop because chances are they're not going to make another one straight away. And who cares if they do a little bit of a wee, but it's it's that really the big poo that, that you want to try and avoid. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, so just a question, you were mentioning there that there are some products in terms of avoiding nappy rash and also treating it. What would you say you need to look out for on those in those ways. Mm. So the products with the least ingredients are always my go-to. Generally speaking, that just means the less chemicals, the less likely your child is going to have something in it that they react to. And when it comes to nappy rashes, you know, that in terms of the wipes you're going to use, you don't need fragrance wipes and fragrances um, often mean chemicals. So avoid anything that's fragranced. And if you want to, you can absolutely use, you know, just that uh, cloth with some water. It's usually enough. And then when it comes to creams and nappy creams, you know, the big message is is you want a barrier cream because what you're doing is you're really trying to protect the skin from that chemical irritation of the wee and the poo. Just going back to what you mentioned about UTIs, Deb, because we do have a question from Tracy. You said um, that little boys are actually more vulnerable to UTIs than little girls. And her question was, are UTIs in young boys common? Could you maybe tell us how we might know that our little baby boy has a UTI? That's a great question because it's actually a tricky one. Older children and adults are able to verbalize the typical symptoms, pain when they're weighing, maybe frequency um, and discomfort. With little babies, they're often only one or two things, maybe three things. And those being your baby may develop a fever and um, they may not have any other obvious source of the fever, so like a big cough or runny nose, or they may just be vomiting. You know, I always remember being taught a child who's only vomiting needs to um, have their urine checked because we need to make sure it's not a urinary tract infection that's causing that. And I guess the third one would be a child who seems unsettled and crying. 
you probably aren't, and, and let me just explain that a little bit, um, because every time they're weird, it's going to hurt them and they're going to cry. So you may not know it's related because especially if they're wearing a diaper, but that's just something to be alerted to as well. And then obviously the urine could be smelling stronger. It could be um, a different color in terms of often it's darker. Or if you see the stream, which you probably won't in a young baby, it could be cloudy or a little bit red for, if it's bloodstained. If we do suspect they have a UTI, I'm assuming we take them straight to our GP. Look, the long and there's always a long and short answer if we, um, the, the short answer is yes. Um, you know, but the long answer is depending on the age of your child and how unwell they are determines how quickly you need to act. So if we're talking about a baby, you know, under that three month age, who's got a fever greater than 38 degrees, who looks very unwell, you're probably going to actually bypass your GP and go to a hospital. Um, but if you've got a baby who's doesn't fit that criteria, um, and you're wondering what's going on, then yes, you're a general practitioner. Okay. Going back to the topic of the foreskin, which as I said, there was lots of questions here. Deb, just to stay with you for one moment longer, you mentioned that 50% will have a retracted foreskin by around 10. Amanda has asked at what age do the penis and foreskin separate and when should I be worried about it not occurring yet? I'm imagining if they're 10 years old, even though we're talking about babies today, if they're 10 years old and it hasn't retracted, you said only 50% are there by that point. So when should a mother start worrying and, and go see someone about it? You know, typically speaking, we talk closer to puberty um, in a child who's otherwise well. If you have a child who, for example, is getting frequent urinary tract infections or um, other genital infections, and I'm happy to talk about that if, if need be, then we may actually, you know, bring that review forward. And what does that review look and, and how do you treat it, I guess, is, is the other option that you may be interested another thing you may be interested in. And that's look, sometimes a topical cream will suffice, like a topical steroid cream, but otherwise sometimes circum circumcision is required. So, you know, that really depends on the situation. This one's for you, Sarah. Katie writes, I once read on a CPR kids post, I think it was, let's just assume it was, <laughs> that if the foreskin is retracted and becomes stuck, that this is an emergency and you should go straight to the hospital. Why is this? So the reason that you do need to go to the hospital is because if it is stuck, then there can be a whole lot of issues that can come from that. Particularly what we worry about is if it's really tight around um, the head of the penis, it can cause compromise with circulation. You know, certainly it's not something that you want to go and forcibly try and pull um, that foreskin back over. Not only is it going to cause a significant amount of trauma for your child, um, it's probably going to be incredibly painful. That is something that you really need to leave to the medical professionals. So don't wait around, really important, straight off to the doctor to get that seen. This question from Jackie is an interesting one. She says, I have seen my son's penis balloon when he wheezes. It doesn't happen every time, just sometimes. Should I worry about this or is this normal? Deb? Yes, it is normal. The majority of babies are born with a tight, non-retractable foreskin. That means that when they're passing urine, some of it gets trapped behind the foreskin and it looks like your child's penis is ballooning out. That wee then will slowly pass out. 
And typically this isn't a problem that as your child ages, that foreskin will loosen and start to retract. The things to watch for, however, are if the urine sits there for an extended period of time, they can develop local irritation. You'll just see redness or even infection um, where the area will become swollen and tender. But this is quite unusual. And typically speaking, that ballooning is normal and will pass with time. Ant-Man asks, why does my seven-month-old grab his frankenbeans like he's trying to rip them off every chance he gets? And Ant-Man from now on is going to call them penis and scrotum. They are not frankenbeans. No, we are using correct terminology here. Sarah, what would you say to that? I would say that is completely, completely normal. It is absolutely developmentally normal. And I think what's really, really important, and because, you know, you can still have that little bit of taboo when it comes to touching genitals. We need to get rid of that. It is okay. It is developmentally normal. It feels good. Why wouldn't they do that? And they're exploring their bodies just like they would explore any other part of their body as well. I think one of the really important things obviously we're talking about kids a little bit older than babies when it comes to this part is that they've got to have that confidence and knowledge about their bodies that what they're doing and how they're exploring is normal that we shouldn't be putting fear or shame around that because the second we start putting fear or shame around it and it's not open to talk about that's when you know things can be really worrying if there are safety concerns around their bodies too and rather than going into all of that because I think we could do an entire podcast on you know child protection issues as well but I'd just love to direct um, everybody to some fantastic resources about how to talk to your kids about their bodies and let them know what is normal and also what is not safe so the brave hearts website is a fantastic resource they list a whole lot of books that you can start reading with your kids as well which is such as everyone's got a bottom by tess rowley which is a brilliant book and for the older kids you know welcome to consent by yumi steins and melissa kang absolutely Absolutely brilliant resources, but going back to Ant-Man's question about, you know, the babies and toddlers and older kids playing with their genitals, completely normal. Deb, what do you want to add to that? Absolutely, Sarah. Um, really, really well explained for families. You know, the only thing I guess I would add is they could also be playing because it's itchy or it's irritating them. So make sure you have a look and look for any rashes, look for any redness, and also try and work out if there's any time correlation. And let me just explain this. So, you know, you may have heard of pinworm. And um, it's really, really common in kids, and typically they'll get an itchy bum with it. But sometimes it can actually also track into the urethra and sit around that area, so around um, the exit of the, of the, the, the bladder and the penis end. So... Just things to keep in mind, but by far the most common is just natural exploration of their own body. But, um, you know, if, if you are wondering if anything else is going on, those are the things to think of. It actually, going back to what you were saying, um, Sarah, about trying to avoid shaming your child for doing this sort of thing. Danielle's question, I think, is a, a good one. It's quite nuanced. She says, my four-year-old has been obsessed with his penis for the last year. See, Danielle's already a step ahead. It's a penis. We're there. He plays with it 
either seeing what the sensation is like or like or on different objects like toys or credenza. What's credenza? Oh, that's a piece of furniture. Yeah, a corner probably. All right, well, there you go. But playing with other objects. He also pulls back the foreskin. It looks normal and it's not red, inflamed or hurting. It is difficult to understand if all of this is normal without creating shame around it or sexualizing it. He does this mainly at home, but also puts his hand down his pants in public. He mentions he likes the sensation. Good on him. He's at least aware of that. It'd be great to get some advice if this is normal or should we be concerned? Oh, I think for a start, I think behaviour like that in a four-year-old little boy would be completely normal. Um, I, yeah, I think that's an important thing to recognise. And I love that Danielle, you know, isn't just saying, you know, stop it and all the rest of it, which is one of those things that, you know, does create shame around that. Um, I'm not, you know, an expert in how to have these conversations with kids, but there, as I said, there are lots of really, really good resources out there and I think being able to you know reinforce that that's normal so being able to talk to him and going you know what it does feel good and it's okay for you to do it but sometimes when we're sitting at the table with you know grandma and grandpa and your sister (laughs) and all the rest of it that that's not the time to do it but later on when you're in a bedroom sure go ahead you know that's not a problem that might be a conversation with a slightly older child um but you know I think the important thing is is making sure that you're saying it's okay to do that. But sometimes there are times where we don't do it. I I remember being told once to say, um, it's totally fine to do it, but this is something just for you. We don't share it with others. So it's private. Like you say, in the privacy of your own room is fine, Mm -hmm. but out in public, we just don't share it. It's for you and that's fine, but just keep it private. Um, so that's my, that might be more appropriate for a four-year-old, maybe easier to yep, understand. They can just go back into their room. Trish has a very direct question. What is smegma? <laughs> I think, well, I just, uh, you looked at Deb, Sarah, so I'm going to give that to Deb. <laughs> Thanks. Smegma is essentially a collection of like sloughed off skin cells that connects underneath the foreskin. So it's that white um it almost looks like a discharge it almost looks like pus but it's actually entirely normal and interestingly and this is you know i get i get all excited about these geeky things but um (laughs) you know the, the body is a fascinating thing and everything has a purpose and what it's thought is the purpose of that is actually to help the foreskin separate so isn't that kind of wow that's so cool there's a reason for everything I think we've covered everything. Most people are, were worried about um, cleaning and, and playing with genitals and that sort of thing. So I think we've covered all that off. But I would like to end just asking about when are the medical emergencies when it comes to male genitalia? What do we need to be really conscious of and immediately seek help? Deb, do you want to start with that? I guess there are three main things that I would talk about, three main groups. So The one being what Sarah has already mentioned, when the foreskin, a retracted foreskin gets stuck behind the tip of the penis. That's called paraphimosis and that is a medical emergency. It's extremely painful and needs needs to be managed. The next one is the group of injuries, which we haven't touched on today. These are things like either direct blunt force trauma, so something's really landed on your child's genitals, 
or maybe they've got it stuck in a zipper or, you know, some some other contraption, toy or something. And you will know that that's happening and clearly your child is going to need assistance with that. The third one is testicular torsion. More common with older children just because of the anatomy, because often the, the testes haven't descended properly yet um, when babies are very young. But testicular torsion is a definite medical emergency because let me just explain what it is so that parents know how to recognize it. So it's the testicle that's twisting inside the scrotum. So from the outside, the scrotum is not twisted. It's what's happening inside. So the testicle has twisted. It will typically be very painful, tender, red, and maybe swollen as well, depending on how long it's been there for. That needs to be direct to emergency department in order for that to be managed because that twisting can compromise the blood supply, which can then compromise the life of that testicle. So get yourself to an emergency if you're at all worried about your children's testicles. Rather err on the side of caution. Sarah, is there anything you would add to that? Uh, no, I just, uh, just everything that Deb said is absolutely true. I think the important thing when you do arrive in emergency um, with if your child has testicular pain is uh, don't be shy. I've been at triage many times where parents and particularly the child have really skirted around because they don't want to be talking to a stranger about something that is maybe deemed embarrassing, please don't do that straight out. My child has got testicular pain. It can often present sometimes with lower abdominal pain as well. Um, but be honest, say it. We've, you know, we'd much rather you come out and tell us what you need so we can do what you need quickly. Don't skirt around the genitals. Come straight out and talk. Deb, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. See you next time. That's Dr. Deb Levy and Sarah Hunstead. They will be back next week and they'll be talking about girl bits, so female genitalia. So if you have any questions about that, perhaps you've been listening today and been thinking about questions you have for your daughter. Uh, it could be about cleaning. It could be about touching. It could be about any number of things. Make sure you send your questions in to feedplaylove at sca.com.au. And we'll see you again next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.